Welcome to Prop Chat. We are here to talk about property, the ups, the downs, and how you can get started in property investing. And now, here's your host, Dave McGlashan. Hello and welcome back to Prop Chat. First and foremost, apologies for the brief hiatus we took over there. We, we got a little busy, um, but what we're doing is getting straight back into podcasting by giving you some of our recorded content, some of our live webinars that we've been doing. Um, so there's a nice big backlog for you guys to work through. I uh, really hope you enjoy it. If you want to catch these live, it happens on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 1 o'clock on our Facebook page. You're welcome to join us. Otherwise, the recordings will always come up over here on the podcast, so you're welcome to catch up here. Okay, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another live update by the SA Property Investors Network. My name is Andrew Walker, and I'm going to be the host for the next 30 to 40 minutes. Now, some of you may already know that we have been running these live updates for the last three weeks, and it's all about, you know, what is happening here in the South African market. How are we as landlords and investors, how are we being affected, and what about our tenants? How can we work together to get through these tough times. Now, if you are watching this for the very first time, please note that we have been recording all of these live streams, including this one. So if you did miss out on any of them, if you want to know the difference between the fake news and the real news, if, you, if you've got tenants out there and, you, and, and you're in a sticky situation, we can help you out. Just go to this website. We will post it in the, um, onto Facebook for you in the comments, but just note this website. Go to www dot join sappen.com forward slash COVID-19. You can register for free and you can start watching all the updates. The more information you can get as a landlord tenant, the easier it will be for you to get through all of this. Now, I want to know from you, ladies and gents, where are you in the country? Are you in Joburg? I'm here in Edenville, Johannesburg. Um, I've got Donna Bonzan, he's from Bloemfontein. Let us know, where are you in the country? We also want to know from you, are you currently investing in property? Let us know. Is it buy to let? Is it student accommodation? If you are a, if you are a landlord out there right now and you've got student accommodation raises, if you're investing into buildings or smaller properties, let us know. If you are a tenant out there, let us know. And the most important thing we want to know from you today is what challenges are you facing as a landlord? You know, do you have students? Have they left? Are your students uh, being funded by, by NASFIS? Are they cash payers? If you're struggling, I have experts on the line with me today. We have Bruno Samal from Bruno Samal Attorneys. If you don't know, he's been a resident attorney who's been helping hundreds of South Africans in the property markets. Mohammed Gadi, who is a specialist in student accommodation. And then some of you already know Donna Bonsai, who was the winner of the Investor of the Year in South Africa in 2019. And he's been investing since 2007. Um, mainly in the student accommodation market. So today, what I want to cover with all of you is I want to cover what's actually happening in the student accommodation market. I think it's very key for people in that space. And then I want to start talking about the market as a whole. And at the end of it, I'm also going to tell you about the event that's happening on the 29th of April. Just note that date for now. Now, ladies and gents, please, if you have any friends, colleagues, Anyone that's in the property space that wants to find out more about what's happening in South Africa, especially for today in the student accommodation, in the comments box now, please tag them and please ask your questions. You see, I've got a list of questions that we've been collecting throughout the week, common questions. So yes, some of your questions may be asked, but I will take your live questions, post your questions into the Facebook comments. Um, and if it's relevant in the time period, I am going to ask the necessary experts. So please stay engaged and let us know how we can help you. But I, I think, uh, first of all, welcome Bruno, uh, Donna and Mohammed, and welcome. 
Hi, Andrew. Hi, Good to have you guys on the show. So for today, I think what I want to do is, you know, if you look at all the other updates we've had, we had the CEO of TAF, Michelle Dickens from TPN, Silver Stain from SSR. I want to talk directly to an investor now. I want to talk to someone who's on the ground that's actually being affected. So Donna Bonsai, um, Donna is from Bloemfontein. And as I said, he is the winner and was the winner of the Investor of the Year. So he's got a lot of experience on the ground. So Donna, the first few questions are for you. And then I'm going to jump to Bruno. So Donna, I think people want to know from you right now, how, you know, as a landlord, obviously you have been affected, but how have you been affected? Um, and what's happening with your properties? Just give us a quick rundown there. Hi, Andrew. Andrew, most of my students have moved out en masse on our home. And with them being at home, a lot of them feel aggrieved having to pay for something which they aren't using. So you have to deal with that. There's also a lot of fake news going around. So you also have to deal with fake news and almost get that settled. So most of, most of my properties are empty, having to struggle with people that don't want to pay, and then the fake news that's around. Absolutely, Donna. But now your tenants, because I, and I've come across various landlords who are in the student accommodation market, but they've got cash payers. Other, other landlords purely have NASFAs. Some have both. So tell us about your tenants. Are they all NASFAs? Are they cash? Is it a mix of both? I'll first tell you a little bit what NASFAS is. NASFAS okay. is the Student Financial Aid Scheme, which is basically government funding for, for accommodation, for books, tuition, and which is important to us, accommodation at universities. And at this stage, about 80% of my tenants are NISFA students and the rest being cash payers. Okay, fantastic. Now, are, are NASFAS actually paying? Are they, because I heard that they were going to honor their payments and they're paying, are they actually paying you? Are you getting that? Yes, at this stage, NISFAS is still paying. But as we know, things change extremely quickly with this. So we'll have to keep, keep an eye on what's going on and see what happens with time. Absolutely. Now, Donna mentioned something important there about, you know, tenants have actually left Donna's properties. They've gone back home. But um, the thing is, they're still having to pay. So I want to come to Bruno Samao, our attorney. So, Bruno, you know, um, those students, um, if you think about it, the students that do not fall under NASFIS now, because NASFIS are going to pay, like Donna said, hopefully going to pay. The people that are cash, cash, uh, cash payers that are now at home, are they liable to still be paying rent in lockdown? So it's, it's actually quite an interesting question. It's caused quite a lot of problems and quite a stir in the market. If the, so the one thing we need to bear in mind when it comes to, to student accommodation is it is an extension of the buy-to-let principle. So all these discussions that we've been having around buy-to-let investments, uh, the importance of the lease agreement, what the lease agreement says, all of these aspects need to be um, you know, kept in mind. So if a student were to, for example, have stayed in the accommodation, um, we all know now from, from all the updates that we've received that the student is liable to pay that rent um, or tenant rather, tenant would be liable to pay that rent. So now the question is, because they're not in occupation of the property, they're not technically using the property. Um, the argument here, and I've had this discussion with quite a few of my, my, my colleagues, uh, the reality is that the regulations, uh, the regulations for COVID-19 don't prevent um, don't prevent students from living in res or don't prevent multi-let investments or multi-let tenants. Um, it literally says that everyone needs to be confined to a specific residence or accommodation and that's where they're going to stay. So the so if, for example, there's a multi-let where there's two students staying in the same place, they've elected 
to leave these places. And now I'm referring to the ones that aren't NASFIS accredited. Uh, because the NASFIS accredited, obviously the universities there have given the directive that everyone should leave. But the ones that are cash payers, um, there's no directive there. The regulations don't prevent or exclude them from staying on the premises. So they've made that choice. And because they've made that choice, it's not really the landlord's fault or uh, it's, not, it's not up to the landlord um, to, to reduce their rent because of a choice that they made. So it's tantamount to someone renting out a premises, but um, you know, going to stay somewhere else for a month and then coming back later. They would still be liable for that because it's a choice that they've made. But this is a very, very general statement because the reality is it would depend on the circumstances. It would depend on the actual accommodation itself, and it would depend on the terms of the lease agreement. But in summary, yes, I would say that you would be liable uh, for payment of rent. Okay, brilliant. So, Bruno, I want to ask you another question. Um, we have just been joined by Basil Morgana, Head of Campus Accommodation at Wits University. So, I'm going to ask you a question about online learning, Bruno. And then I'm going to bring Basil and Mohammed into this because I think it's a very, it's a very, very important question. Now, Bruno, when we spoke earlier, we mentioned that there was a move by, by universities to implement online learning. Will students that lack the infrastructure, because they're now at home, they don't have access to internet, will they be allowed back into their res? Um, so I think, so on this specific topic, I think Basil's actually going to give quite a bit of valuable information. So from my side with my clients, what they're telling me is that students are now contacting them, um, informing them that they intend to return. The reason for this is if online uh, learning is implemented, and they don't have internet, they don't have infrastructure. So internet is lacking, or for example, some have forgotten their textbooks, or not forgotten, but left their textbooks behind because they thought that the lockdown was going to be limited to the 21 day period. Um, I know that the universities are doing their best to um, afford these students some, some level of connectivity. So I know that these deals with MTN, Vodacom, and the universities are trying, but the reality is some of the students have been asking, can they return to the premises in order to be able to access this infrastructure? The problem that we're sitting with here is, first of all, it's illegal to move around. So it's unlawful. So the straight up answer to this is no. The students, if I was advising the students, they are not allowed to drive around. They're not allowed to change their residences at this point of the lockdown. That's the reality. But sure. as a landlord, you cannot control the student. And because you can't control the student, what happens if the student pitches up at the property, opens up and goes inside? Uh, what, what do you as a landlord, what can you do? And here we can quickly break it down into, for example, accommodation that's one student only has that one student, then I suppose, you know what, it doesn't matter. Uh, the landlord, it's not the landlord's fault, student moved around, he did something unlawful, what are we as landlords supposed to do? The problem starts coming in where it's multi-lens and with shared amenities. Now, let's say, for example, one of the students stayed behind, quarantined himself, and now another student wants to come and move back in. That's a problem because that goes against the quarantine. If that student that stayed behind now all of a sudden gets infected, and somehow harmed or injured, what, what's going to happen in those circumstances? And that's a sure. huge um, So the, I discussed this with a couple of colleagues. It is still very gray, and it's something that we're going to need to develop as we go along. But what we had suggested was if landlords fear this happening, a notice should be sent out 
as setting up that in terms of the regulations, no movement will be allowable. Because Absolutely. no movement will be allowable, if anyone shows up at the premises, they need to be warned that the police might actually be called and informed of the unlawful movement yeah. and it, it taken care of from there. The, the, the implication of this, what we found, was that if somebody moves in and the other tenants feel at risk, by calling the police um, or by reporting the crime, the landlord has to a certain degree, um, what's the best word, release himself of that onus or any sort of risk because in those instances you've done everything that you possibly could um, and now it's in the hands of the police. If they want to come to an urgent eviction and yeah. remove the person, it's completely up to them. It's out of the landlord's hands. Absolutely, brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Mr. Mugwena, welcome to our chat today. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. So, um, Ms. McGuane, I want to know from yourself, um, from Witside and the university, what is happening with this online learning? Is it being implemented? Is it coming to enforce in April or May? Could you tell us a bit more about that? Okay. Thank you. Let me also comment on what Bruno said. He's on, on point. At this point in time, because of the national lockdown, we have written to students, we are advising students not to travel. But we find ourselves caught up in situations at this point in time wherein some students find their way to get back into the universities. Like yesterday, there's a student who traveled from Free State saying, I forgot my books, what I needed to do, the police stopped me. I went to the police station, did an affidavit, then they allowed me to travel. As soon as a student lands in our premises, we can't send the student back because we will be in violation of the very same regulations. So those are the situations that we find ourselves in. As a matter of fact, this morning, we, I had a meeting with uh, all service providers uh, of accommodation at VET to explain the situation and to look at the way forward. Universities are eager to get students back into the, uh, the premises. As a matter of fact, the vice chancellors will be having a meeting with the minister uh, tomorrow. What's actually happening, the minister has received a lot of complaints from students saying, no, we were told to leave knowing that the academic term will resume in April. Now we are stuck at our respective homes with no connectivity, no nothing to be able to be doing our work. So we want to come back and fetch our uh, study material. Unfortunately, from our side, we're still saying until the government say otherwise, students are not allowed to be on the road. What's actually happening from the 20th of April, Vets University will be start rolling up online education. We have identified quite a number of students who have written directly to us and say, we've got these challenges in terms of devices. You might have seen a communication uh, doing rounds. We have secured at least 5,000 laptops, which we are going to loan to students who say they've got such like challenges. And then in terms of students who do not, I, I was shocked last week, <laughs> May, perhaps I should not be shocked. There's a student somewhere in the Eastern Cape. The student didn't even know about uh, the extension of the lockdown. They say there's no coverage in that particular village. Wow. So that came in as a serious shock to most of us to the extent that we are currently contemplating bringing back, in case the lockdown gets lifted on the 30th of April, even though online learning is ongoing, will be ongoing going forward, but we are looking at bringing back students who come from extremely poor backgrounds who say to us, look, I'm at home, 
my uncle is running a tavern. I'm helping out despite all these issues. I can't study from home. So such like students, we're encouraging them to write to us. We assess cases. As soon as lockdown is lifted, we will let them in. But uh, in terms of uh, online learning, it's a new normal that we're going to have until second semester. Absolutely. And then just see what happens with lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. Our biggest, our biggest issue, we just have to hear what the, I mean, the, the president says yeah. closer to the 30th. If the lockdown is uplifted, then we'll start facing in students returning to universities. Sure. And then, Basil, just, just one more question there for you. With, with regards to NASFIS, you know, we've heard that NASFIS will be paying. Um, I don't know if you'll know the answer. Is that true? Do you see any reasons why NASFIS may turn around in, in, you know, in a month or two and say, hey, sorry, but there's no funds or something like that? No, I don't see NSFAS reneging on that. As a matter of fact, the president was addressing our issue when he said, don't bring the force majeure issue into the picture. For example, we've got residences that we leased from service providers. We are paying them monthly, despite all these setbacks. As a matter of fact, we are... Our service providers who have paid them for February, March, and April. The reason I met with them today, it was to say to them, look, we are dealing with this type of realities, but going forward, we are not sure because we are having challenges in terms of cash-paying students. Cash-paying students, parents are coming back and say, my child is with me at home. How do I pay a property in Bramfontein when my child is with me at home? A service provider says, hey, your child is in the lease agreement. So what we advise is that, look, just talk about how you can ease that. For example, from the investor side, I said to my finance manager that he just need to start preparing me steps in terms of we build students beforehand for transport, the buses that are moving up and down, the students pay for that. We build students for water and electricity. Then for the months of March and April, we have not paid anything so such like we are looking at crediting the students uh, when they come back in relation to that. So the government says to us, look, make sure you do not shortchange your people. Therefore, we don't expect the government to shortchange us. And the NSFAS is on point that uh, they, are, they will go, go carry on paying their obligations. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Basil. And I now want to bring Mohammed Gardi into this mix. So, Mohammed, you've been investing in student accommodation and multilet. Can you give me your Can you give me your opinion on what Basil and Bruno have been talking about? Um, and then, Bruno, just add. I mean, uh, Mohammed, add on to that. As a landlord of either student accommodation or multilet, what should the landlord be taking into precaution? Yeah, so I can't agree with Basil more. Basil has said exactly what investors should look at. I mean, this is, uh, this is a pandemic that's come about not because of any specific person. It's not anyone's fault. The entire economy is suffering. All the investments are under strain. So it would be, you know, very short-sighted to say, well, you're in a lease agreement, pay all the money you have to, and, and that's, that's the blanket answer. So, of course, students are still paying, but on a case-by-case basis, there are things you can do clever ways of making things, making a better business model. So exactly like Basil said, you're sitting in an environment where there's no utility expense at the moment. So when someone asks you for a discount on their lease, you don't have to say, well, you know, I'm losing out. You can see that you've actually gained from not having that expense and you can make an allowance. It's always good business practice to keep your customers happy and to keep things going. Um, 
the, the other thing I would say as well is people are very afraid that they're saying, well, for example, if you come back to online learning and if that becomes the new norm, then why do you need student accommodation? People can study from anywhere. Campuses will become virtual. But that's also, you know, something that's, that's, uh, that doesn't seem possible to happen. As Basil said, the infrastructure is not there for everyone to do it. If you had to write exams, you'd still have to come to the university. So accommodation will still be needed and provided. It might just change a little bit. Um, in terms of what Bruno was saying on whether students can be let in, back in or not, and what the risk is, and you know whether as a landlord you have an obligation to do something, I think these things would have been covered in your health and safety regulations. So if you were in compliance of those regulations, then I think you should be fine. You would be okay. You just need to be vigilant and look at what the rules are that are coming out as, as, as they come out. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's not, not an easy time right now, but it's not as difficult as people are saying. Student accommodation assets are still yielding the best returns. Yeah. And then just, and just quickly on that topic, uh, Mohammed, um, being, you know, yourself a landlord of student accommodation and multi-let. So, um, yes, some landlords, their students may have gone home and it is vacant. And as you say, those utilities won't be there or they won't be as high. So you could negotiate um, a rent downwards. However, um, let's say you have a multi-let, right? Or let's say you still have students in your in your accommodation. Tell me from your perspective, what are some of the hygiene precautions that a landlord could do to try to safeguard that property? Okay, so in, in terms of multi-lets, it becomes a little bit more difficult than student accommodation. Multi-lets, as we know, there's usually high density, there's shared bathrooms, shared kitchens. So it's difficult to, you know, um, manage people's behavior while they are in there. But I think, the, you know, people have panicked a little bit too much. What we found is that as long as you stick to the rules, so if you were in isolation with a certain set of people and you didn't change that and you didn't go out, then you are not inviting more risk onto the premises. The risk comes in when you're breaking rules and moving in and out. So what, what we found on the multi-let side, which is you know, a little bit different from student accommodation, that's e equivalent to the cash market on student accommodation. Those people who are paying rent, their incomes will be affected. So that's something you, know, you need to look yeah. at differently. Uh, NASFAS, they're not going to renege on it. They've got a full 10-month contract. Um, you know, like we spoke about it before, and Basil will tell you, the uh, rental is loaded up front at the start of the year as an allowance for the year. So, so that's not going to be an issue. Um, hygiene issues, I think we've been seeing mails from different universities, you know, giving guidelines. I think the universities like us are also, this is a new environment. Nobody knows what the right answer is. So mm. I've seen ones where they say um, it's when students return, they need to be screened. But in those mails, it doesn't tell you who's going to be screened, who's going to do the screening. What does screening mean? Do I need to take temperatures? Do they need to go to the university? You know, so I think those things will unfold. Everyone's working on it at the moment. I don't think it's, there's a need to panic. For now, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Now, Mohammed, I will be coming back to you in a few minutes about what's happening across the, the, the SA market, okay? But first, Bruno, um, I'm going to come to you in a second now about if, you're, if you have a multi-let or student accommodation and there are students in there and a tenant gets affected, uh, affected in your opinion, what, uh, what should we do? But just before we get there, Bruno, I can see quite a few people have joined us. Please remember, ladies and gents, we do have four experts on the, on the line with us. Um, and this is your opportunity to ask questions. So remember, let us know, where are you in the country? Are you a landlord? Are you facing any difficulties with the tenant? 
Are you in a position where you don't know what to do? Please post your questions now. And just to let everyone know, this live stream is being recorded and it will be available to you, your colleagues, and your friends. All you need to do is go to joinsappen.com forward slash COVID-19. We will post that link into the comments box. You can register for free. You can watch the, the last three weeks worth of content and update yourself with regards to what's happening with real news and fake news. So please register and tell your friends and family, tag them now on Facebook. Um, coming to you, Bruno. So Bruno, let's say that you're out there and I guess the procedure is the same, right? Whether it's student accommodation or a multi-let, you're, and you're in a position where there's 10 tenants in a property and one tenant gets affected. In your opinion, what should that landlord do? Because this is the question that no one's really been able to tell us or answer. Okay, we're just going to get Bruno's mic on there for two secs. We're just going to unmute Bruno. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a difficult question because I keep getting asked what the landlord's obligations are towards the, the, the tenants and towards the residence itself. Um, so, uh, just a few, uh, just to touch on what Mohammed was saying earlier, um, the Rental Housing Act does have certain regulations and obviously uh, through um, through history and, and industry norms, uh, landlords tend to make use of house rules in order to govern certain things within the lease agreement. So that is something to bear in mind that if a landlord sees that there's, uh, there's a need for them to intervene uh, for some reason or another, uh, you can always use the house rules in order to try govern the relationship of the people within the, 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 the residence. So that's just something to keep in mind. But um, to answer the question now, what does a landlord do in a situation where somebody gets infected or, con uh, or contracts? What my, my gut feel, and again, this is just the feeling, is the landlord cannot sit with this type of obligation because the landlord has, does not have the, the capabilities or the capacity to be able to deal with it. And I think this is where, again, we need to now go back and try rely on government and their regulations. So the reality behind it is, Firstly, people can't be moving around. If they do, is it the landlord's responsibility or is it a matter of referring it, um, referring it to the fact that the regulations don't allow for it and allowing government to deal with it? Unfortunately, that's the best the landlord can do. Um, if somebody contracts, what happens in those situations? It's the same thing that happens um, in every situation that somebody contracts. As soon as it's reported, it will be investigated by the specific units uh, that deal with this. And if this person has had communication or engagement or interaction with other people, uh, those people also need to be tested. They will have to be put in self-isolation and quarantine. So at the end of this, um, the regulations are probably going to govern what the landlord needs to do, which would probably just be a matter of reporting the incident and letting it be, leaving it in the hands of the proper authorities to deal with it and take it from there. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bruno. Um, I'm going to come to who have I got next. So, Mohammed, um, how do you see, I mean, coming out of lockdown, and Donna, I, I want to know from yourself as well, um, what is the plan B here? Do you think landlords should still be looking at student accommodation, Mohammed? Um, do you think that they should be thinking of extra strategy? Um, just, just give us your opinion on that, and I'll come to you, Donna, afterwards. Okay, so um, my view on student accommodation remains positive. Um, well-managed, well-located, correctly configured student accommodation assets still outperform other property classes and possibly other traditional asset classes as well. 
So I don't see a change in, in that too much. Um, we all know the economy is going to suffer across the board. Um, how that manifests is, uh, you know, something different. We're also going to more detail on this on the talk that we're having on the 29th of April. We'll go into a lot more detail there. Uh, if you want me to just go through some of the lessons we've learned, or do we should you, uh, Dana? What do you think? And, uh, let's get yeah, let's get your opinion, Dana. I mean, you're you're a landlord there in Bloemfontein. You've got these properties that you've converted into student accommodation. Is your intention to ride this out and just you know ride it out and continue student accommodation, or are you thinking of well maybe? I may need to convert these to a multi-led. Maybe I've got to convert them to bartlets. What's going through your strategy now? At this stage, the reality is that the country doesn't have the infrastructure to go online throughout the whole country. And a lot of my tenants are from rural areas and they don't have access to real proper online facilities. So for this at this stage, I'm still going to carry on with student accommodation. However, I think in the long run, Tertiary education will be moving online. And in the long run, maybe it will be something for me to think about to go more multi-let or more traditional bite-to-let, as you've suggested. 100%. And I mean, and Mohammed, we had this chat, didn't we? Um, at the premier event we had at Sapin. And, and just to mention that, uh, ladies and gents, what Mohammed was talking about is if you weren't aware of it yet, just note that there is an event happening on the 29th of April. Some of you already know that at the SA Property Investors Network, we do run a networking events and we are running a live online, uh, online virtual event on the 29th of April. Just go to jointsapin.com like before, but this time it's forward slash 29, as in for 29, April. So it's jointsapin.com forward slash 29 April, where Mohammed Gadi will be our keynote speaker. We'll have Absa Bank over there. We'll have TAF. We'll have Tile Africa. We'll have all our national partners at that specific event. So you don't want to miss out on that. And I think um, uh, before I come to you, uh, Mohammed, Mr. McGuena, just to maybe close off from yourself, what advice you know do you have for landlords out there? Should they be concerned? Do you think they just need to ride this way for one or two months? Just give us your your opinion on the subject. Okay, okay, thank you. Uh, I want to say emphatically that landlords don't need to be concerned. We had a session with one of the vice chancellors, the vice chancellor of the University of Johannesburg, uh, about the implication of uh, online learning. For example, the pressure that I have at this point in time, I've got medical science students who have to do practicals in the hospitals in Gauteng. They want to come back. Can they learn something at home and do practicals at home? That's practically not possible. We've got students who have to go to the laboratories. These are the mainstream academic faculties that are in charge of this particular set of students. So the vice chancellor of uh, UJE stated that uh, South Africa, for example, which is advanced in Africa, is a century away from a fully-fledged online learning capacity. So what the investors are trying to do at this point in time is to try and save the academic calendar. As a matter of fact, currently we are talking, in case the lockdown gets lifted at the end of April, we should consider running through no June recess all the way until the second week of December. Then students can knock off at approximately that time so that we don't lose any of the dates. But 
we are fully aware that we are not there in terms of online learning. We still need students to be in the contact sessions. It's only UNISA in South Africa that has a kind of a correspondence type of system, but all these other 26 universities, 25 universities, are virtually dependent on contact. And as long as there's contact education, there will be need for accommodation. Absolutely, 100% right. Thank you so much for that. So now I think what I want to find out um, from the other experts are what are the lessons we are now learning through COVID. And just before we go to you, Mohammed, so remember, ladies and gents, if you have any questions with regards to the market, students' accommodation, um, if you're facing any difficulties, please post it in the comment now, tag your friends, let them know about this, and you will get access to this webinar afterwards as well. So, I mean, Mohammed, from your point of view, I mean, obviously, you know, COVID-19 to all of us, you know, our I went through the recession in 2007, 2008, and when I compared it to me, that was a baby recession compared to, you know, what you're going through now with Moody's downgrade, all of that. So, Mohammed, you know, standing back and looking at this, what are the, some of the lessons maybe you learning through this experience? Yeah, so just before I get into the lessons, just to add to what Basil said, I agree with him 100%. Um, I'm not sure, you know, people seem to be very afraid when they say online learning, and that means the end of student accommodation. Remember, in a, you know, when you look at it on paper, it seems like online learning is the right way to go. It will, you know, save costs and it's a much easier environment and stuff. But if you look at the practical side, I mean, if you remember when you went to university, how much learning did you do? How much socializing did you do? You just wanted to get out of your parents' home and move somewhere else. So there'll always be that demand and need. It's a rite of passage for young people that will take place combined with the learning. So whether it's online in a student accommodation premises, living with other people or staying at home, I don't think online learning is going to, you know, really impact the market at the moment. Um, on the lessons that we've, that we've learned. So I'll go into these lessons in more detail on the talk on the 29th, but it's, it's what we've been saying previously in all the talks that we've been giving that a risk decision framework is the most important thing that you need to have. You need to be constantly looking at the environment and other sectors to check the relative yield you're earning on this investment. So obviously in this environment where all asset classes or most asset classes are suffering, you know, you would have be in the same position as you were before relative to other asset classes. Um, contingency plans and lessons learned is that markets are ever evolving and you need to be cognizant of this when you do your initial investment plan and your due diligence. Um, I think one of the most important things which cannot be stressed enough, but people just don't seem to take that point every time we say it, is that you can see now how debt magnifies reward. It also magnifies risk. This is an environment where you can see all your due diligence and feasibility studies you did Nobody predicted an environment like this. So what happens if you had taken on too much debt? You didn't leave any buffer. You only looked at a good scenario. Those are the investments that would be suffering. So this, this teaches you that when you look at investments, understand the risk of the different parts of it, and it will actually evolve into a new capital structure. So we can see, and I won't go into too much detail now, is that everybody is overloaded with debt. They're so overloaded that the banks can't actually call on them. That's why they're giving these payment holidays and extended terms and those kind of things. So that's that's a scary environment to be in. Um, on, on the other side as well, remember, if people are not spending their money, that also drives the economy down. So while you're not going out to restaurants and those kind of places, you have extra money in your pocket. 
If you save it, that takes it out of the economy. So it's not like we've lost the spending. It's, it's only if jobs start getting lost, then the economy will do worse. So that's an overall perspective. On student accommodation itself, I think the lesson learned is that you need a very robust feasibility model upfront, and you need to understand all the risks before you get into it. It's still one of the best asset classes right now. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Mohammed Gadi. And if you want to hear more from Mohammed Gadi, remember the 29th of April, the, the, the link to the event is in the comments on the Facebook uh, Facebook page over there. So ladies and gents, that's joinsappen.com forward slash 29 April. And we will have Mohammed as that keynote speaker. So let's go to Bruno and Dana. Um, and then I want to know from yourself as well, Bruno and Dana, I'll start with you, Bruno. What are some of the lessons you're learning through COVID-19? Sure. Well, look, from a legal perspective, um, I think I think what we've realized is that there's so much uncertainty, there's so much uncertainty on how to deal with situations like this, that I think uh, moving forward, when people contract, when people enter into these type of investments, when they start contracting with tenants, they're going to be a lot more mindful that it's not always a simple matter of, um, you know, a person moves in, there's rental and that's it. Uh, there, there are a lot, um, a lot greater implications behind uh, these type of relationships and the way that they govern. Um, so I think from from my side, um, the positive note that I've that I've seen from this whole experience is that rental is taken seriously. There's a lot of expenses that people are cutting back on, but rental is the one thing that I've noticed that always comes down to: um, if you have to pay, you pay. And uh, the delinquency on rent versus um, other type of debt. Look, I don't have the stats in front of me, but from what I see, uh, people are a lot more willing to to um, to fail default on other debt than they are on on a residence and occupation. Uh, so I think it is one of the safer places to be um, at this moment. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Bruno, for that. And Donna Bonsai, what's your view? What are you lessons? Are you are you panicking? Are you calm? Uh, what what are the two or three big lessons that you're learning that you can share with us? I wouldn't say I'm panicking at all. What I definitely have learned is that plan for the unexpected and expect the unexpected. And at the same time, you have to be resilient. And with my background as a physiotherapist, I've also learned that education is very important in this. Ensure that your tenants are educated with regards to hygiene, especially hand hygiene because that's one of the most important things when it comes to infection control and prevention. If your tenants are educated well enough, the process of the infection can be stopped. And the other thing is to communicate. Be in constant communication with your tenants to get rid of all the fake news, to make sure that you know where they are and that if you can make any relief on, uh, on rental, it can be communicated to them. Absolutely. Thank you so much there, Donna. So as you can see, ladies and gents, the more the more knowledge you get, the more education, the more up-to-date you are, the easier it will be. And, you know, when I do these live updates, and I've been doing them for three weeks, the message is the same. As a landlord or tenant, you've got to communicate. You know, some of the landlords will get a relief on their monthly bond payments. And the question is, can you chat to a tenant? Can you come up with a plan to help that tenant get through these bad times? Every circumstance is going to be different. So remember, if you are watching this for the first time, this is recorded and you can get a replay. And please share it with all your friends, colleagues, anyone that is in 
The student accommodation market needs to know about this. Now, ladies and gents, we are out of time. If you do have questions, please just go to our, our Facebook group, which is the SA Property Investors Network um, on Facebook, and you, can, and you can continue asking questions on that group. Otherwise, I want to leave you with those two events. Uh, the first one being the 29th of April, which is the SA Property Investors Networking a virtual event. It's the networking event, ladies and gents, where we do have Mohammed Gadi as the guest speaker. The link is in the comments, which is joinsappen.com forward slash 29th of April. And then we're going to have uh, the, the, our COVID-19 page, which I think most of you know about. That is just joinsappen.com forward slash COVID-19, where you can get all this information for free, ladies and gents. So that's it from Marcel. Thank you, Mohammed. Thank you, Basil. Thank you, Bruno. Thank you, Donna, for an Pleasure. awesome session. Thank I you. think thank we covered guys. a hell of a lot. So thank you. Thanks, Pleasure. Pleasure, man. Awesome. And ladies and gents, going into the weekend, uh, please make sure that you do watch these webinars and you do communicate with your tenants. Um, until next week, happy investing, stay positive, um, and please watch out on our websites. We are constantly re uh, releasing new information as to what's happening in the South African property market. See you next week for the next live update. Thank you for joining us on Prop Chat, brought to you by SA Property Investors Network. Make sure you visit their website, www.sapropertynetwork.com, where you will find eBooks, webinars, newsletters, training videos, property assessment tools, event tickets, and much more. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so you'll never miss a show. SA Property Investors Network, a place where property investors meet. Connect today. Expand tomorrow.